Hello, and welcome once again to this seance of sound that we call Scry. You may have noticed that this episode is twice as long as normal, and there is a reason behind that. Life has interfered with the recording process in a pretty big way since our last episode released. But no worries, everything is good. Some of you know that I'm a pretty big advocate of the foster care system. And up until recently, my wife and I have been foster parents. That is no longer the case, however, as the two foster kids in our care have now officially been adopted. That's right. We are now the proud parents of four. On top of that, our youngest had her fourth birthday, so we've been pretty busy here around the Scry studio. I didn't want to leave you all hanging, however, and with Scry celebrating its one-year anniversary this month, I thought perhaps we could revisit some of the scariest encounters that we have shared over the past year. Our first encounter comes from episode 22 and was shared by Reggie P, in which he tells of an encounter at his grandparents' house and explains why he hates mirrors. Let's look back at this creepy tale that was recorded at the Crescent Hotel. I know a lot of your listeners may claim that I am full of shit, but I want to tell you why I hate mirrors. Growing up, my grandparents lived in another state halfway across the country, so visiting them at their house was always rare. Every summer though, my parents would send me to stay with them for two weeks. For as long as I could remember, My grandparents' home always gave me the creeps. There was just something off about it that I could never quite put my finger on. The house always seemed heavy, if that makes sense. From the moment you entered the home, it seemed like it became harder to breathe somehow. Like going for a jog in a humid environment. You had to work just a little extra for that air to fill your lungs. Your shoulders felt almost as if they were weighted down, and you needed just a bit more effort to walk. And it always felt like you were being watched. Not by my grandparents, but by something else. For years, I chalked this up to it just being the home of two elderly people, devout Catholics who kept statues of various saints on the shelves throughout their home that caused this unease, and I tried to push the eerie feelings from my mind. For years, I was successful with this, until the summer that I went to visit when I was maybe 13 or 14. I had been at my grandparents for just a couple days and that weird, familiar feeling had hit the moment that I arrived, just like it always had. I had spent the day watching some old westerns with my grandpa, 
eating all the food that my grandmother continuously baked and helped him out with some of the household chores. It wasn't a bad time by any means, but I was at that age where I had discovered girls and being trapped a thousand miles from home and the girl I had a crush on left me in a mental funk. When I decided to call it a night, I lay in bed, thinking about the things that adolescent boys think about when the puberty monster arrives, and falling asleep was difficult because of it. After laying in bed for what felt like hours, I had the need to take a piss. So I got up and stepped into the hallway to make my way to the bathroom. I should have mentioned that between my last visit and this one, my grandparents had done some remodeling to their house, and their taste in the new decor was pretty lacking. There was once a time when mirrors that had a fake marble print on them were all the rage. The gold marbling effect on the mirrors looked tacky to me then, and I still cringe thinking about them now. But my grandparents loved them, and they decorated the entire hallway from floor to ceiling with this tasteless facade. I made my way down the dimly lit hallway, illuminated only from a small nightlight in an outlet that my grandparents kept to help them around in the dark of night. With each step, that eerie feeling just seemed to grow stronger. Finally, I made it to the bathroom and did my business. Now, I had to make my way back to my bed in the guest room, and here's where that damn feeling became intense. It was like I was walking in molasses. With every step, it felt harder to walk. I would imagine that this is what quicksand feels like. As I made my way slowly down the hall, I began to notice that something wasn't right. I couldn't put my finger on it. Another step. What the hell is wrong? I took another step, and then another, and then realized what was causing such a panic. It was my reflection. It was delayed. Only by a split second, but that delay was there and noticeable. I turned to face myself in this god-awful hallway of mirrors, like a fucking funhouse minus the fun, and watched as my reflection turned to face me. My mirror image looked like me, only pale, like it hadn't seen the sun in ages. There were dark bags under its eyes, and it looked tired or dead. As my reflection and I are staring at each other, I see his breathing become erratic and shaky. What little light there was in the hallway seemed to darken, until I realized that the darkness had a shape that of a tall man, one 
that was solid black. It placed a hand on my reflection's shoulder, and my reflection's jaw slowly dropped. Dark bile began to drip from its mouth, and its eyes either grew pale or rolled back. I'm not sure which. I just remember them looking white. Thank God I had just pissed, or I'd be standing in a puddle of it and having to explain this to my grandparents in the morning. Another hand appeared on my reflection's other shoulder, and it seemed as if he was growing thinner. I had had enough of this, whatever the fuck I was seeing, and I decided to fuck right off back to the guest room and try to block this from my mind and call it a night. I broke through that molasses feeling and ran like hell back to the bedroom, slamming the door behind me and ensuring that it was shut. I caught my breath and turned on the lamp by the bed. I sure as hell wasn't going to sleep in the dark. If I could sleep. Fuck that. I sat on the bed and looked at the dresser. Which, of course, had a mirror running across the top. And guess what I see? Is it my reflection? No. It's that damn black mass of a person standing there. I couldn't make out any features, but I know it was looking at me. Staring at me. And it hated me. I began to fill with panic and try to think of a place without a mirror. And then it occurred to me that the closet was my only real available option. It was either that, stay in the room with this shadow thing looking at me, or try my chances in the hallway full of mirrors. Shit, the choice was easy and I jumped in the closet, scared as shit, and trying to keep myself together. I don't know how long I stayed in there, but eventually, I was overcome from exhaustion and fell asleep. I awoke the next morning to the sounds of my grandfather laughing. My grandparents had searched the house for me when they hadn't been able to find me in bed to wake me for breakfast. Grandpa had asked if I got spooked and let out a little chuckle. If only he knew. I refused to look into a mirror the rest of the time that I was there for my visit, and I tried to fall asleep on the couch as much as I could while Grandpa watched Johnny Carson. When I finally got home, I mentioned what happened to my dad. I don't know if he believed me or not. He only replied that weird shit sometimes happened at my grandparents' home, but never said anything more. Between that weird shit and Grandpa asking if I got spooked, I wonder what they knew about that house. But then again, 
I don't want to know also. Fuck that house. I loved my grandparents very much, but my sentiment remains. Fuck that house. Fuck the land it sits on. And fuck those goddamn mirrors. That story is certainly one of the creepiest to have appeared on Scry thus far, and is an excellent way to jumpstart our march towards Halloween. For someone known as the Seer, who stares into the obsidian mirror, it's kind of ironic that I had a childhood fear of mirrors, especially in dark rooms. Our second story comes from episode 5, in which Alex's dad recollected a visit to an old mansion that was being renovated. One that he and a friend had been asked to house sit. And one that would prove to be terrifying and tragic. Here is his tale. I have something that happened in my past that I've never told a soul. It happened with my best friend since diapers, and I'm guessing he told no one either. I know how when things happen that are unexplainable, people will ridicule you, and I don't deal well with that. Forgive me if I get too detailed. I'm a CPA and tend to get too analytical. My best friend and I grew up together, Spent the night with each other almost every night for eight years. Then we were roommates in college, roommates after college until I got married. He was the best man at my wedding and the godfather of my first child. After he finished med school and his residency, he was diagnosed with a rare brain tumor in May and dead in June at 32. A weird side note. He actually died on my son's second birthday. My son will be 12 next month. My wife and I also have a four-year-old daughter. My best friend Scott was born on her birthday. So when my two kids have their birthdays, it's inescapable remembering Scott. When we were in high school, Scott's summer job was working for a local vet. This vet's wife inherited an old antebellum mansion. He worked for this vet the summer during college semesters as well. This old house was huge and sat on around 600 acres, but had been very dormant and empty forever. They intended to remodel this house and move in. The house was so huge, they did it in stages. The land had some highly desirable trees, and they sold a lot of them. Between the sale of their previous home and the money made off those trees, they were updating this house in parts very nicely. Some of these trees they kept for themselves and had the cabinetry and a lot of trim work done with them. Scott and I kind of divided the three floors of the house in quadrants. Each floor had four quadrants. They had finished one quadrant of the bottom floor. One room off the bedroom was done up like a spa, sort of. 
a smallish indoor pool, jacuzzi, weights, treadmill, etc. This veterinarian and his wife were going on a two-week vacation and asked Scott to house-sit and watch their dogs. They take Scott out in the boonies for the first time to show him the house and where it is. One look at its state and where it's at, and he asks if I can stay with him. They were my family's vet and they knew me too, so they said it was okay. The rumor was that there was a bloody Civil War battle and people died in the house. They were buried on the property, etc., etc. Usual trumped-up extras to boot. We really weren't too concerned with that stuff, to be honest. Out in the boonies, with only a quarter of the bottom floor being livable, was our main concern. The first night we were there, we explored the house before it got dark, since electricity wasn't throughout the entire house. The upper two floors were pretty creepy, even in the daylight. Really old toys and some old creepy dolls. There was one creepy doll at the foot of the stairs going up to the third floor. It was so old, but yet looked like a real dead baby laying there. Really weird looking, and my imagination started running wild. We made a quick trip up to the third floor and looked over a very small piece and made a beeline back to the livable portion. At the bottom of the stairs, we noticed the doll was gone. We didn't debate. We just ran faster. Scott and I were 18 or 19 at the time, so old enough to be adults, but young enough to get scared. We decided to leave and grab a burger. We pulled back in the drive coming back, and we both swore that we saw someone inside. We quasi-searched the bottom floor and found nothing. We decided to swim and hang in the jacuzzi spa area. This was back before cable was everywhere, and they also had satellite TV in there. Scott's sitting on the side of the pool, and I swim to the other end underwater. I come up, and I hear talking. He's talking to a woman who looks to be 40-ish, but dressed like mid-1800s. He tells me later he'd never seen her in his life, but he's talking to her like they've known each other all his life. I walk over, and she turns to me and says, I see you found my baby. I didn't say anything, but must have had a what-the-fuck look on my face. My baby at the bottom of the stairs. It took everything in me to make my throat make a noise and say, The doll? She looked at me, and with a deep, guttural, manly voice said, Don't fuck with me. You're the one I'm afraid of, not him. But I'm not that afraid of you. Things don't normally shake me, but I could have passed out from fear. I couldn't speak or run. Scott just sat there with an almost grin on his face. She said she knew us before we were born, 
and knew how one of us would end. She said Scott would never marry or have kids. He would barely make it past 30, but my kids would be linked to him and they'd never allow me to forget him. Other than being able to find a petite woman that could mimic that deep demonic voice and me not know her, I honestly thought that he was pranking me for years afterwards. He vehemently denied that and really acted like he wanted to act like it didn't happen. I slept on a couch and he slept in their bed. The next morning, that doll was laying in the bed with him, wrapped up like a real baby. They were paying him to house sit and he was splitting the money with me. I went in to get him up so we could get breakfast somewhere and saw the doll. I still remember seeing the doll in freezing. I couldn't rustle him or say a word. I just stood there trying to grunt until he awoke. When he woke and saw the doll, he freaked. He flipped over to his clothes and said, I'm out. You can stay and have all the money, but I'm out. I wasn't staying there by myself. We then heard the most demonic, awful laugh, and we were gone. We both left some clothes. I left a gym bag and another pair of shoes. I didn't want them back. I think the family called other family or friends to come get their dogs. Like I said, I kind of would think deep down, Scott was pranking me at times for years. He never married or had kids, and when he died suddenly at 32, it shook me. When he died on my son's birthday, and my daughter was born on his, I don't think it was a prank he played on me and kept it going for 13 to 14 years. On his deathbed, I struggled dealing with the obvious dying and wanting to ask him that question. I finally did, and he looked at me and said, I know I'm dying, and I'm not afraid. The only thing that scares me is dying and seeing her again. The vet and his wife finished the bottom floor, and I heard it was beautiful. Their daughter wanted her room on the second floor. All I ever heard afterwards about it was shortly after starting on the second floor, they stopped. They bought a very nice house in town and sold the house and property. I have a mind like a steel trap and I don't forget anything, even small details. I live in a small suburb outside of Nashville. To this day, I couldn't tell you where that house is or even the general direction of how to get there. I know I mentioned it in episode 5, and I want to mention it again. But Alex, Dad, you have all of our condolences on the loss of your friend. He sounds like he was a great guy. And once again, that story is downright chilling. Our next creepy tale comes from episode 7, and was submitted by James. And I think this story 
has been the one that I have heard the most feedback from, with people asking questions about it. Questions that I cannot answer. But maybe James holds these answers about his night with another worldly entity. So back around 1996 or 1997, I ran into an old friend of mine at the grocery store. We caught up for a few minutes and he asked me how my girlfriend and I were doing. It had been a few months since we last talked and he wasn't aware that we had broken up. As I was telling him that my ex and I were no longer together, his new girlfriend comes up to us from another aisle and overhears our conversation. As she puts her arm around his waist, she tells me that she has a single friend that moved to town recently and needed someone to show her around. Here goes the matchmaking. She gives me her friend's number and we say our goodbyes and part ways. A couple nights go by and I figure, what the hell? So I call the girl's number and when she answers, I tell her who I am and how I came across her phone number. She laughs and jokes about how my buddy's new girlfriend is always trying to find her a nice guy. Initially, I took this as meaning that she wasn't interested, but instead, we ended up talking on the phone for nearly three hours and made plans to meet up and go out the following night. So the next night arrives, and I meet this girl at a local restaurant, and I am stunned. She is stunningly gorgeous and well out of my league. I was half expecting her to pretend like she was waiting for someone else or run out the door, jump in her car Dukes of Hazard style and floor it home. But instead, she came up and introduced herself. Her name was Brenda and we hit it off instantly. She was incredibly witty and intelligent and could definitely hold her own in a conversation. We talked nonstop throughout our entire meal without any of those awkward pauses that can occupy a conversation between people who have just met. Since she was fairly new in town, after dinner, I drove her around the city and showed her some of the sights and local areas of interest. Our car ride was as pleasant as dinner and I could feel myself growing increasingly attracted to this woman. I could feel a connection with Brenda like I hadn't had with anyone else before. After our drive, I returned to the restaurant so that Brenda could pick up her car as we had been driving around in mine. I get out to give her a proper goodbye and hopefully get that goodnight kiss as I ask for a second date. I wouldn't get the chance to as she kissed me first and sheepishly asked me if I would like to follow her home and continue the evening. Without hesitation, I accepted, and my mind began racing with thoughts of where the night may go. We get back to her place, and we sit on the couch in the living room and start talking, which quickly turns into kissing, and then passionately making out with each other. Before long, our clothes had been torn off and tossed to the floor, and we were going at it like a couple of teenagers. I was on top, and I started feeling this slight but 
growing tingle, like a small electrical charge. If you've ever stuck your tongue to a 9-volt battery, it was a similar feeling, but it seemed to hit my forehead instead of my tongue. The feeling of that electrical charge continued to grow, and I began to get dizzy. I couldn't take it much longer and ended up laying on my back. Brenda took this as her opportunity to climb on top of me, and as she continued what we had started, things took a twist for the bizarre. As Brenda grinded on top of me, the dizziness had me close to blacking out, but instead of everything fading to black, I was suddenly outside of my body, watching Brenda use me. I stood there, or I think I was standing there. I don't know. I wasn't really aware of my body, or if I even had one, but I watched. Brenda kept at it and seemed to be working herself up into a state of ecstatic frenzy. And that's when things went from bizarre to terrifying. Brenda looked at me. Not the physical me that she was on top of, but the me that was outside of my body. She stared right at me, direct, unbreaking eye contact. And that's when I noticed that her eyes weren't normal. They were completely black and had this eerie intensity to them. She kept staring at the out-of-body me while using my physical body. I drifted around the room and she followed me with her cold black eyes. As she stared, this smile, something that never should be evil, yet was, spread across her face. She placed one of her hands, which now looked to be deathly pale, on top of my chest and began to dig her fingers into my flesh. Her smile seemed to spread unnaturally wide across her face, almost as if to say, you are now mine. It was then that I lost consciousness, both out of my body and in. I don't know what happened next or how I even got home, but the next thing that I remember was waking up the next afternoon. Yes, I slept late, much later than normal, but I couldn't recall anything between when I blacked out and waking up. I thought about calling Brenda and asking her if she knew what happened, but I was still freaked out about what I had seen and really didn't want to talk to her until I had calmed down and made sense of what had happened, or if she was dangerous. Hell, for all I knew, she had drugged me. I headed to the bathroom and turned on the light, and that was when I saw my reflection. There, on my chest, were deep scratches that had scabbed over. I never did call Brenda again, 
and I didn't call my buddy to see what the hell was up with this girl that his girlfriend was friends with. I decided that I was fine without ever seeing her again and having any more experiences like that night. I did retrace my drive from that restaurant to Brenda's place about two weeks later. The house looked incredibly run down and possibly abandoned in the daylight. I pray that I just messed up and drove to the wrong place, but I don't think that's the case. As for my friend, we would never talk again. It had been months between last seeing each other and meeting in that grocery store, and we just continued to drift apart. A few years ago, I tried to look up my friend on various social media sites and was able to find a profile for him anywhere. After doing a bit of digging on Google, I found out that he had passed away unexpectedly about six months after we had last seen each other. I tracked down some of the mutual friends that we both had back then and asked some questions. My friend had passed in his sleep at the age of 23. I asked about the girl that he had been seeing and nobody seemed to remember who I was talking about. I can't help but wonder if his girlfriend and Brenda were both something otherworldly. Maybe she finished off my friend like Brenda planned to do with me. Perhaps I'm making mountains out of a molehill, or perhaps demons and succubi are real. If they are, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if Brenda was one. Holy shit, that story is still creepy as hell. And again, all of our condolences to you and yours, James. I can't tell you how many times I have had people ask for your email address since your story first aired. Maybe there are others out there with similar experiences. If so, submit them to the show at scrypod.com, scrypodcast at gmail.com or at 573-203-8668. Back in episode 12, Pitts shared an experience about the decorations that we all have on our walls. Paintings and pictures that adorn our walls become something sinister in this eerie experience. Let's look back at his tale. I was talking to a gal once, and she related a creepy story that happened to her. When she was a young teen, she was very ill. She had been to the doctor and was prescribed bed rest until her fever came down and her flu-like symptoms passed. <coughs> While lying on the family couch, her mom and dad would sit in the nearby easy chair and watch TV. At times, they would leave the room and get her water, meds, soup, etc. She kept noticing a painting on the wall near the couch of a woman holding a basket of fruit 
it seemed to be watching the people coming in and leaving the room. Now, she was running a fever, and she knew this must be her imagination, and kept it to herself. There was no way she really believed the eyes were tracking people, right? As her dad left the room, she could swear the painting followed him with its eyes. Fever or not, she was getting scared. So she looked to see if she could see her mom or dad returning to the room. She couldn't see anyone nearby until she turned her head back to the picture. The woman turned her head directly toward her, made eye contact, and tossed down the basket of fruit. From behind the woman's back, she produced a knife and began climbing out of the picture frame with a look of blood hate in her eyes. At this point, her screams of panic caused her dad to come rushing back. The painting turned towards the sound of the dad's rushing feet, made eye contact with the girl, and climbed back up in the frame with one last look that said, I'll finish this next time. She would never let her parents leave her in that room alone again. And something happened to me. I was told, in the right light, paintings will talk to each other. I thought this was bullshit, until as a teen, I began trying to crack an eye open in the early morning to see if I could verify the myth. I kept doing this until I began to notice a small movement that must have been my imagination. And then one would seem to be whispering, barely moving its lips. I thought this was neater than hell, and I decided I could see if I could read the painting's lips. It seemed like a fine idea, and although I knew this must just be my imagination, I was transfixed until I lip-read the words. I think he is watching us. Laugh or not, it freaked my teenage ass out enough that I stopped looking at the damn pictures on the walls unless it was bright outside and they knew I was looking at them. God, Bits. Here we are 10 months after that story was first shared, and it is still one that sends shivers up my spine. I don't know what I would do if any of the ornamentation around our house tried to interact with me in such a fashion. I think burning my house down would be the only option that I would have. For our final encounter of the episode, we look back at episode 10, in which Cheese Beast mentioned something that he spotted out of his bedroom window one night when he was a child. This was his tale.
When I was a kid, we lived in a small house in Tennessee. My room had a shag carpet and a single set of windows. The view was of the very small front yard. One night, I woke up and crossed the room to the windows. I drew open the drapes and saw a small, elf-like thing sitting cross-legged in the yard. He was really thin and had a long pointed nose. He was menacing looking. I could hear his voice in my head. I asked him who he was. He laughed and told me he knew who I was. For some reason, he said things that made me laugh, but I don't recall what those things were. He asked me if he could come inside, and I told him I didn't think it was a good idea and my parents wouldn't like it. I couldn't tell if he was trying to trick me. He laughed and agreed that it was not a good idea for him to come inside. He told me to be a good boy and go back to bed. I remember the feeling of the shag carpet on my feet and crawling back in bed. I told my parents the next morning about it and they were none too happy. I think they thought it was a perv or someone trying to break in, but I don't. Imagine seeing something like this as a child. I would have resorted back to bedwetting. Thank you again for sharing that story. And thank you to all of you that have submitted stories. We certainly have a great collection built up. And our Halloween episode will definitely have some more dark tales of the paranormal. If you have a story to share, you can share the scare at scrypod.com scribepodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 573-203-8668 All stories on Scry are purported to be true. When starting this episode I said that it would run about twice as long as normal and we're not quite there yet so let's take a look at one more terrifying tale. One that is especially terrifying in my opinion, because this one happened to me. This would have been about 20 years ago, when I was around 19 or 20, when I had what I can only describe as sleep paralysis on steroids. I know what you're probably thinking. Oh, sleep paralysis, that's not supernatural. It's the result of chemicals in your brain fucking up the sink between your mind and your body. Well, that may be, but I have suffered from episodes of sleep paralysis for decades. I've seen shadow beings. I've seen aliens. I've seen ghosts standing by my bed. At least, I've seen them in bouts of sleep paralysis. This episode, which I can remember clear as day, was unlike any other episode that has happened since, and truth be told, it was the first time that I experienced it. 
But even then, none of the innumerable episodes that I have had afterwards have come anywhere near this level of terror and pain. I was sleeping on my stomach when I woke up, and I could tell that I wasn't alone in the room. It sounds typical so far, right? I could sense these invisible beings, demons, flying around the room rapidly, dashing from corner to corner, smiling, laughing, laughing at me. They were invisible, yet somehow I could tell where they were and what they were doing. Then the attack began. The first of these invisible sons of bitches swooped down and grabbed my ankles. Another swooped down behind him, reached over him, and began to run his claws down the back of my legs, slowly sinking them into my flesh. I could feel the muscles in my legs being torn, and then the demon did it again, sinking his claws to the bone this time, scraping against it as he tore chunks of flesh from my legs. My legs burned in pain, and I tried to scream out in anguish, but I couldn't so much as make a whimper. Another demon approached the side of my bed and brought his arm down on mine, hard. I could feel my arm break. I could then feel the demon begin yanking on my fractured arm, trying to rip it free of my body. Before it could manage this, another demon made its presence known. It was under me, inside the mattress. I could feel it push its hands up from inside the mattress, pushing against my stomach. Its claws tore through the fabric of the mattress and then tore through my skin and into my stomach. White-hot pain seared through me as this demon ripped apart my stomach and began pulling out my organs, eviscerating me. I could feel every ounce of pain that these demons were inflicting on me. Another demon approached, and the ones that had been tormenting and torturing me fell back and resumed flying around the room. I can remember seeing my blinds blow like they were in an open window during a hurricane. The posters on my walls were ripped free, and debris whipped around the room like a tornado. The final demon pushed my head down against the pillow. I could still see to the side, but I couldn't move or make a sound. Pain racked whatever was left of my body. Tears streamed down from my eyes. With his free hand, the demon reached toward my neck and drug one single claw against my throat, easily cutting into me. I could feel the blood rush out, and I can remember choking on it. I was dying. These fucking demons had killed me. Everything was going black and then darkness. Suddenly, I shot up into a sitting position on my bed. I was alive, and I could move. 
My body wasn't harmed in any way, yet I could still feel the pain that these demons had inflicted upon me. The tears that the pain and fear had brought out were very real, though it appeared the damage to my physical body was not. It took hours for my body to feel normal again, and I stayed awake for the following three days, too scared to go to sleep lest these demons showed up again. Ultimately, I would pass out and never see those invisible bastards again, thank God. You can call this sleep paralysis, but I have never had another episode where I could feel some dreamed up entity touching me like that. I've never heard anyone else tell tales of episodes causing such physical pain either. I've been in car wrecks, a motorcycle wreck, and have had countless accidents during the misadventures of my youth, but I have never felt a pain so intense as what I felt in this episode. It could have all been in my head as some sort of fucking glitch between my body and brain as I was sleeping, but that pain was very fucking real. I just hope that whatever caused it wasn't. And with that, it is once again time to close the gate and banish all things dark beyond the veil. Some of the music in this episode appears courtesy of Shadow Vibe and Mew, and appears courtesy of a Creative Commons license. Check out the show notes for links to these great artists. Instead of having a podcast recommendation for this episode, I would like to direct you to Scry on Twitter, where you can follow us at Podcast Scry where I have been recommending a different eerie podcast for every day of October. We will be back with some new true tales of terror on Halloween. But until then, it is time to once again close the gate. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry. <laughs>